Welcome to episode 88. Today, I share examples to show you how co-assessing is co-teaching. Welcome to the Teaching Multilingual Learners podcast. This podcast celebrates teachers who answer the calling to serve multilingual students and their families. Your beautiful smile, your beautiful life are waiting for you to shine bright. It's never too early or late to start to rise up and shine. Your beautiful smile, your beautiful life are waiting for you to shine bright. It's never too early or late to start to rise up and shine. Cloud has... You might be familiar with one of my favorite lines. Co-planning is co-teaching. The things we plan together directly shape instruction for students. This is also true for assessments. Co-assessing is co-teaching. In this episode, I share three examples of how to co-assess. These are one, designing the rubric, two, formatting the assessment, and three, co-planning lessons that directly relate to the assessment. For the last point, co-planning lessons, I focus on Carol Ann Tomlinson's model differentiation. When co-assessing, plan the content, the product, and the process. I hope that these real examples from my teaching show you all the ways you can co-assess with your colleagues. Now, on to today's podcast. I want to start off with this sentence. Co-planning is co-teaching. So when we co-plan, we are directly impacting the instructions that students are going to experience. So if we get to impact students' experience, then we could also co-plan the assessment not just the daily lessons that students experience, but also the assessment. I used to think that because I wasn't a content teacher and I was a language specialist, I wasn't able to really design assessments with my co-teacher. Throughout the years, as I started learning more about my role and what the power of co-planning, I started to realize there are at least three things I could do to co-assess with my colleagues. The first one, and possibly the easiest one, is to co-design the rubric. Rubrics are fantastic because they contain specific items that will be assessed. They guide teachers on what to teach. Sometimes they guide them on when to teach as well, if it's in sequence. Rubrics also provide specific success criteria at various levels. So I'm gonna talk about a rubric that, that my fifth grade team and I designed, or one of my fifth grade teachers that I designed together for a narrative writing uh, unit. When I look at it, really it's more of like a checklist, but it's still, the concept is still uh, closely connected to a rubric. We base this rubric on Lucy Calkins' uh, rubric for the narrative unit. So for the development, there are, four things that students are being assessed on. They're assessed on their ability to elaborate with details. They're assessed on their pacing. 
They're assessed on their use of figurative language and sentence variety. So right there, of course, this is just one part of the narrative rubric and we're looking at development. But if you look at just development, now we know that there are four things we have to teach specifically. This is the power of a rubric. We might sit together and say, okay, now that we've taught elaboration, what can we teach next? Or we might say, okay, now we know that we want we kids to elaborate, to pace, to use figurative language and sense of variety. Which of these four elements in the development part do we want to focus on first? I think rubrics really help because um, one of my approaches to co-teaching and co-planning is this. We deconstruct and then we sequence. The rubric helps us do that. It helps us deconstruct, for example, the development. It helps us reconstruct, deconstruct four things that we have to teach kids that we're looking for. And then we can sequence it. In this particular uh, unit, we decided to focus on elaboration first. And as we moved, we looked at pacing. Once we got pacing, we connected it to uh, sentence variety. And the last part, which was the most difficult, we, laid, we saved figurative language for the last. This is why rubrics are so powerful. Just spending an hour or 45 minutes co-planning a rubric helps you know, as a language specialist, what kids are expected. It helps the content teachers know what they want as well. And if we happen to work in a pull-out model, uh, we can still use this rubric to help guide our pull-out instruction. If we work in a co-teaching model, rubrics are fantastic because now we know what to teach, when to teach, and to what details do we want to teach. The second way you can co-assess is by co-designing the assessment, meaning how should it look? So in this assessment, you're not really addressing the content. That's your content uh, teacher's responsibility. You are helping them manipulate and structure and format the assessment so that it doesn't become a reading assessment. What I'm going to share with you is a great seven science test about uh, ecosystems. I'm going to share with you first the original test, and then I'm going to share with you our formatted test. So this is the process. Your content teacher would give you a test that they are planning to use, what you would do during your planning time. Uh, this is what I did. I took it and I looked at it with an eye for formatting. How can I add features to help make the assessment more accessible for kids? I then took the assessment that I reformatted. We came back and we sat together and we, and we looked through the formatted assessment. And at that time, the teacher would say, yes, this, is, this makes sense, or yes, no, you're over scaffolding. Yes, this is perfect, right? or this is missing, right? So I'm not spending the time uh, in a whole precious co-planning time, uh, live formatting together simultaneously. The content teacher uh, sent me the assessment and I am looking at it during my prep time. He or she now is working on their own thing. And then I come together, we come together and we look. That's the best use of our time. I found that sometimes co-creating the formatting takes a lot of time. That is an option though, and I will share with you next uh, in this episode what that looks like. But first, let's look at the original test and let's, I'm gonna share with you how I reformat it. 
So let's say that this first part of the test, the teacher wants students to uh, know certain words. And they're going to have on one side all the key vocabulary words, and on the other side is our definitions. And the kids have to match the word with the definition. What I did by formatting it is I took the definition box and I added synonyms behind keywords. For example, let's look at the first uh, definition. An organism that produces its own food by using light energy. So I looked at that word and I know that organism is a word that I cannot translate for kids because, or find a synonym because that's a content specific word they must know. So I looked at the word produces. So kids might not know what that means. So I typed in the word makes. So now it says an organism that produces, parentheses, makes its own food by using light energy. Let me give you another one. The feeding level of an organism in a food chain. So that's the original and here's how I changed it. The feeding level, parentheses, energy level of an organism in a food chain. Let me give you one more. An organism that obtains food by eating other organisms. Here's the synonym, this is how I changed it. An organism that obtains, parentheses, gets food by eating other organisms. Now the word obtains stays there because I want my kids to see, our kids to see academic rigorous words, but I also want them to know that, hey, the word obtains means gets as well. By adding synonyms behind academic words, this does not water down the rigor of the assessment. It just makes it more accessible. It makes it not a reading comprehension test. The next thing I did is um, I looked at parts where I can add images. So here is a sentence that the teacher created or a problem that the teacher created. Using the following food chain, answer question A and question B. So the question A, before the question A looks like this, there's the word lettuce with an arrow, to green flies, to an arrow, to ladybird insects, to insects eating birds, with an arrow to hawks. So there's one, two, three, four, five things that's being eaten, like lettuce is being eaten by the green flies, that's eaten being by the ladybug insects, that's being eaten by the insect eating birds, that's eaten by the hawks, finally. So what did I do? Well, I took under the word lettuce, I found a picture of lettuce. Under a picture of green flies, I found a picture of green flies and then same, same thing for ladybugs and sparrows and hawks. So now the, the question remains the same. I simply just added pictures to help kids see what those words are because they might not know what a sparrow is. They might not know what a green fly is. And then the next part, I, I did the same thing. The teacher had a table and on the top there was just green flies ladybirds and insect eating birds. What I did, and then the bottom was, there was like the word decrease and increase. What I did with, us, with that table was I added images of green flies, a ladybird, a ladybug, a sparrow or insect eating bird. And then with the words decrease and increase, I added an arrow pointing down for decrease and an arrow pointing up for increase. So if kids are not familiar with the word decrease or increase, they can still figure out and be able to answer this question.
So we're intentionally adding images to aid the comprehension of the questions. I did the same thing for the next question. The teacher had a wonderful picture of a diagram of a food web. Um, and then there was there's grass in the bottom leading up to uh, insects and rabbit and lizards and birds. And then finally at the top, there's an eagle. What I did was I took that diagram and I added and I labeled the grass, the caterpillar, the snail, the rabbit, the sparrow, the lizard, and the eagle. So I didn't change the question, I just added labels. Again, this increases students' comprehension and because the words are labeled, if they happen to use it, if they happen to need to write the word caterpillar or snail, it's there for them. The next thing I did was I took questions, for example, like this one, the arrows in the food web represent energy transfer. In what form does energy enter a food chain? And that's a question. And the teacher provided a line for students to write. What I took, what I did was I took that uh, question and I added, I did two things. I added synonyms, for example, the arrow in a food web represent, parentheses, show, NEC transfer, parentheses, movement, right? And that, so I, so again, I'm, I'm incorporating those uh, synonyms to help kids, but more importantly, or equally, where there used to be a line where students wrote their answers, um, I added a sentence starter like this. The energy enters the food web through the dot, 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 dot. So now kids can go back to that diagram that's labeled and kids can answer looking at the picture to help them. Let me give you another example of the same thing. The original question was, state clearly how energy is passed through the food chain. I added the words. After the word state, I, was, I put parentheses, say. So now the question is, there used to be a line and now I added a sentence starter. The energy is passed through the food chain by. So this gets kids um, starting to think about the answer, but without giving them the answer. The last thing I do when I co-design an assessment is a question that has multiple parts in the question like this. Identify the most significant factors that contribute to climate change and explain their influence. What I do is I take the two parts in that question and I break it up. One question is this, identify all the, sorry, identify all the factors that contribute to climate change, full stop. And I provide a space for students to write their answer. The next part is explain how each factor contributes to climate change. And that gets its own space as well. Because sometimes students will answer the first part and not the last, or answer the last part and not the first. So that becomes a reading comprehension test for kids. But when we break up the multi-part question this way, it becomes so much more clearer for kids. Again, Brene Brown says that clarity is kind or clear is kind. Another way to co-design the assessment is to think about the lessons that lead up to the assessment. Again, this is like backwards planning. So the way that I work with my content teachers is I think about content, product, and process. This is the structure that comes from Carol Ann Tomlinson, the legendary Carol Ann Tomlinson, 
She uses it for differentiation, but I use it to help kids. Uh, well, what I plan, I use it to provide scaffolding and differentiation and planning as a planning structure during uh, my time with teachers. So I'll ask the content. What is the content stu students have to learn? The product. What is the product students have to produce? And what is the language uh, that is required in that product? The process might be, how will students learn the content? How will students work on the product? So those are the questions that I'm thinking about when I'm asking for content, product, and process. It's such a great, this one way, this one framework that I use for, for co-planning has, has stayed with me for years and has been so helpful because it's, it provides a clear yet effective structure for co-planning. However, you can still use that structure to co-plan the assessment by looking at the small little lessons or the weekly lessons. So I'm gonna give you an example of how I do that. I'm gonna show you, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a content, I'm gonna take content and I'm gonna show you how I would co-plan with my content teacher focusing on the language of the content. So we're gonna think about grade six and this is uh, gonna be globalization. The unit is globalization, it's for social studies. So I'm gonna look at the product first. I'm gonna say with my teacher, I'm gonna sit down with her or him and say, hey, by the end of this unit, what do you want students to produce? I like to start with the product because it's very clear, because it contains the content as well. Right? Because if there's a product, but there's no content, then we have a problem. But I know that when teachers think about the product, they always embed the content inside. So I'm sitting with my teacher and hypothetical, my hypothetical teacher, and this teacher says, okay, we're going to create an infographic, kind of like an infographic, and we're calling it a fact sheet. There's going to be different parts of the fact sheet. Kids are going to have to make, write a definition of globalization. They're going to have to write the advantages and the disadvantages. Those are in, those are in sec separate sections. And another part is they're going to have to write the perspective one person's perspective of globalization, and they're gonna to have to write another person's perspective about globalization. And at the end, the students are gonna to have to write about their own perspective about globalization. In addition, they're going to have to have photos that are connected to globalization. So the fact that the teacher has told me that, what I do is then I would, as the teacher is telling me that, I'm writing it down, I'm drawing it, I am, um, putting it into a document, and I'm gonna take that document and give it to the teacher to say, would you be okay with uh, this document? Uh, can I give this to the language learners or can we offer it to kids and whoever wants to use it can use it? And often teachers will say, wow, this is a great scaffold. It makes it really clear. Yes, let's share that with uh, all the students. So that's what I do. When the teacher has given me the idea, I create a model of the final product or really an outline of the final product so kids can see the individual parts. This goes back to the deconstruct and sequence. Another thing I like to do is if it's for writing, I like to help make an outline with my teachers. Or if it's a, like a portfolio that has like multiple sections that kids have to write about, I like to I call that a template and I like to co-create the template with my teachers. So let's go with the writing first. I'm gonna sit with my teacher and now that I know that 
the teacher wants to talk about the definition of globalization, the advantages and disadvantages, different perspectives and students' opinions, I would then say, can we turn this into an outline or, hey, I'm going to create this outline. I'm going to use your information. I'm going to uh, see if this is okay to be used with students. So I would say, okay, for the definition of globalization, what words should students be using, right? And the, the teacher might say, oh, interact, exchange, people, ideas, products, countries. So I would go and write that in that outline for kids. And I would do this again for the advantages, for the disadvantages, the perspectives. And so by the end of our planning time, I have an outline that students are going to be using to write their assessment. To, this is for the assessment. And this is what it mean, this is what I mean by when I say co-planning is co-teaching. The fact that we created this outline for kids really helps them well, even when I'm not there in class, because sometimes they're not, they don't have the self-advocacy to advocate for them, themselves to say, teacher, I'm not, I don't understand what to do. But with the outline, it's right there for them. And I would do this with the template as well. So Let's say that I'm sitting with a design teacher and the teacher wants to create a carnival portfolio for kids and there is a design process. Each part of that slide of the design process, we're going to break down. We're going to, we're, we're going to deconstruct and we're going to say, what do you want in this slide? What do you want kids to produce in that slide? What do you want kids to produce show in this third slide? And then we give all those slides to those to kids and they'll be able to work and engage with that template. I actually saw this one time with a design teacher and uh, this teacher and I co-planned together for grade eight. And then uh, a few weeks later, we looked, we, a few weeks later, I was working with a grade seven and they happened to open, have a tab open and it was for design tab. And I said, oh, is that a, is that your design template? Said, yeah, oh yeah, the teacher gave it to us. And I was, so happy because the teacher applied what we did to the how we use the template for, for grade eight and this teacher now used it for grade seven and this is why co-planning is so important because when we co-plan with our teachers sometimes it really transfers to other classes that they're teaching sometimes it doesn't and if it does if it transfers fantastic if it doesn't not a problem we'll keep going let me stay with the writing example I'm going to share with, share with you how I had my organize a, a writing travel brochure for my kids in grade six. This is geography. There are five themes of geography and I uh, created a document and I listed all of the themes that kids have to put and I put that inside the outline. The first part of the outline is location. And then I wrote questions that kids have to answer for that location paragraph. So the questions for the location paragraph is, are, what content is it on? Which hemisphere is this country on? Who are its neighbors? So this, in this, let me back up to give you a con context. In my grade six unit in, for geography, my kids have to create their own uh, fictional country continent. Well, really their fictional globe with continents, with fictional continents and fictional countries. I thought that was a creative, highly engaging way for them to learn about the five themes of geography. So in class, 
we would talk about an example, a case study, and I would show kids uh, a case study about Thailand. So I would talk about, okay, let's look at Thailand, for example. Let's look at the theme of location for Thailand. Right? So we would, we would talk about what continent it's on, which hemisphere it's on, and which neighbors it's bordering. I would write that as an example for kids, and I provide it inside the outline. And on the last part of the outline is a blank sp spot for kids to write. So the outline has uh, one section for the location with bullet points. Those bullet points I answered in my own model writing. I say, here's an example of my model writing. And then the last part is a space for kids to actually apply their own example, their own writing, using the model writing, using the bullet points. For teachers who are not comfortable with uh, providing a model of writing, which is fine, you work with what they give you or you work with what they're willing to work with, um, ask them, can I at least provide guided questions for students to be able to answer in that paragraph? So your outline should, at the least, have the have different bullet point have different sections that kids have to answer, and in each section, kids have to have bullet points so that they see what they what they have to write about in each paragraph. Another thing that teachers can do, language specialists can do when they're co-planning the assessment, is to change the product entirely. For example, let's just say that I have a student. I'll just tell you a story. So let me tell you a story about Zhang Hong to exemplify this concept of changing the product. Zhang Hong came to me from China and he was in my seventh grade class and he's a highly functioning, very literate Chinese speaker, reader, writer. He's a beginner in English, so he needed a lot of support. So I went and supported Zhang Hong by going to his classes and co-planning with many of the teachers. In particular, I worked with his social studies teacher. The teacher wanted students to, all students, to write an essay. And the essay was to write about the human impact on river systems. That was the original assessment. We sat and we co-planned. We talked about what can we do because right now, Zhang is not able to produce a full five-paragraph essay. So we thought about it and we said, okay, let's keep the thinking the same. The thinking is researching and analysis. However, we just have to change the, the, the product. So we decided on, hey, let's help him create a video, an animated video using Adobe Spark. He would still have to write ex extensively, uh, but what we did was we said, okay, he's gonna have to do, produce a video and he's gonna have to talk about and change in the river ecosystems because of human interaction. So during my, uh, co-teaching time, I sat with Zhang Hong and I explained to him the instructions. Of course, I had to use Google Translate. I don't speak Chinese, but I took the assignment and I wrote the sentences down one by one and I translated for him in Chinese. So he, he showed that he understood the assignment. And then I said, okay, so Zhang Hong, you're going to go research Chinese articles or watch Chinese videos about a human impact on rivers. He said, okay, I got it. So he went and worked and researched. And I don't know, I don't stand to say the resources, but he, as I was watching him work, yeah, he, he was reading and taking notes and stuff in Chinese. 
And then when it was time to write the report, um, he already had lots of ideas. I didn't really help him. He went and he just wrote it by himself. And I said, oh, okay, so you're ready to write, so you're ready to produce the video then. So I shared with him how to use Adobe Spark, um, use adding images, adding text, adding captions, and then adding his voiceover. And then I, we went, I went away for a few days and then he came back and he showed me, oh, hey, here's my product. He's, he finished it. And when he, when he played it for me, I was so impressed. And his ideas were the same as other students to think, to research and analyze human impact on river systems. What he did was he used Chinese resources. And what we did for him was to have him still write, but not a full essay, but he created an animated video. And it's on par with the other assignment that the other students had to do. This means as other students were looking at river systems in English, he was looking at river systems in China and looking at resources in Chinese. This is what equitable assessment looks like. It's not just saying, oh, your peers are working on river systems. You're just gonna learn the colors of the rainbow. Here you go. I'm gonna play for you the video that Zhang Hong created. Now pay attention and listen to uh, his use of, of academic language. All the words he produced uh, and wrote came from him in typing in Chinese and producing it in Google Translate in English. I didn't help him with this. Hello, my name is Chen Zhenghong. Today, I would like to review you on the ecology plan of Dan. Dan of the Dan. Follow them for beautiful city, beautiful city. After them, where the water is us, the land is there. Water and the moment price is riding. Of course, the Dan has a good set. You can see that he's still thinking He's still using his research and he's still analyzing the impact. This is the exact same thing we want. We want kids to be doing the same kind of thinking, but maybe we change the product. The next part of the product content process model is content. Here we can still co-plan the assessment focusing on the content. I might ask teachers, okay, uh, how are you gonna teach the content? Or what's the content you're gonna teach? Let's say that I would work with my teacher and I would say, okay, so you, what do you want to teach kids? The teacher would say, oh, I want to teach kids about an example of globalization. And I would say, how, how are you going to teach that? And the teacher would say, oh, I have a video and it's about the life cycle of a t-shirt. It shows where the t-shirt starts and it shows the next process, the next phase of the t-shirt and where it moves to different countries, where it goes through uh, machines to get, to get, um, braided and combed and then and moves to another part where it gets weaved and then it finally goes to another part where it gets sewn, stuff like that. And I would say, okay, great. Um, this is where I would go and support the kids during the assessment because this part, life, the life cycle of a t-shirt, kids are going to have to explain in their own writing for the assessment. Now that I know that this is essential, I would say, can I take this video and can I uh, scaffold it. And the teacher would say, what will you do? Well, I'm going to take the video and I'm going to put it into Edpuzzle. And Edpuzzle allows you to embed comprehension questions for kids. And I would watch the video and I would break, I would embed comprehension questions that make kids stop 
and reflect or have kids pause and draw something like a sketch note for them to process. So that's an example of by co-planning, by doing this, I'm helping kids be able to be successful in the assessment because they're gonna have to know about the life cycle of a t-shirt by watching this video. Here's the next part. Let's say that the teacher says, okay, I want kids to know about the advantages and disadvantages of globalization. We're gonna read a National Geographic article and I would say, oh great, let me take the article and let me scaffold it for kids. And so what I would do is I would uh, take sections of the, of the article and it doesn't have lots of image, images. The original version just has one. I'm gonna take the paragraph or the text, and I'm gonna break it up into, I'm gonna section it into different slides on a Google slide. So the article will fit on several different slides in a Google slide. For each of the slide, I'm gonna add a relevant picture. For example, I'm looking at a paragraph right now and it says Vietnam is a country that has benefited from globalization. Globalization led to an increase in rice production or the prices of rice. As a result, many rice farmers in Vietnam managed to get out of poverty. More children of poor families left work and attended school. Now, what I did was in the original article, there were no pictures of rice production or people in Vietnam uh, growing rice. So I found an image and I copied and pasted it from the internet and I pasted it into the slide. So now kids can see that. So they have a little image now. So that's using sensory scaffolding. In the article, I also found words, again, that might be hard for kids, so I added synonyms for kids. Another thing I might do is I might take a really, really long sentence, I might break it up to two, but I try not to do that too much because then it, it waters down the complexity for students. Again, this process is called text engineering. So I'm taking the article, and by doing this, and by text engineering, I'm making sure that the article is accessible for kids because they need this article, the content in this article, to be successful in the assessment. Let's stay with content. And the teacher says, okay, we're gonna learn the words advantage and disadvantage. And these are the key words that I want kids to know. So I would say, okay, these are the key words. Um, can I lead this part of the lesson where I teach all the kids what advantage means and what disadvantage means? And the way I do that, let me just give you an example. And I learned this from a book called uh, Bringing Words to Life. I would take a word and I would give a student-friendly definition. For example, I would write advantage. An advantage can better your life. And I would then, after the word advantage, I would copy and paste the Chinese version and the Thai version, because I have lots of Thai and Chinese kids in my class, for kids to see. Then I provide an example of an answer. For example, I might say, an advantage of being in Thailand is that you can go to so many different natural places for vacation. And I would ask kids, what is an advantage of living in Thailand? So now kids already have my context as an example. Now kids are gonna be turning and talking or writing out very quickly an answer to that question. So by doing that, I'm taking on the responsibility of teaching a key word that's gonna be very helpful for the assessment in the future. So I'm finding 
actively in finding ways to embed myself into the assessment process. Even though I'm not designing the assessment, the kids need to know the word advantage and disadvantage to be successful in this, in this assessment. By helping kids understand them, these words, I am actively helping them on their assessment. So we looked at product and we looked at content. Now let's look at process. Process means how are kids going to be interacting with the content? How are kids going to be interacting with each other? Let's go back to that National Geographic article that we just talked about, about the advantages and disadvantages of globalization. I'm going to ask the teacher and I'm going to ask them, so how do you want kids to process this article? And they'll say, oh, they'll just read it, possibly. And I say, oh, is it possible for me to lead a lesson where I'm going to have kids work together in small groups or really in pairs to co-read the article? And at the end of every paragraph, they're going to summarize using something called noun verb detail. So they're going to look for the main noun. They're going to think about the verb of that noun in that paragraph. And then they're going to write the detail for it. This is a way to help kids not copy the words from the text. They're going to think about the noun. The noun always stays the same. The verb changes, and then the detail changes. For example, let's go back to that uh, example of the rice production. For example, let's go back to that paragraph about Vietnam and the rice production and how globalization has helped uh, Vietnamese farmers lift themselves out of poverty. So the way that I would use noun verb detail is I would say, okay, in this paragraph, globalization is the noun. Uh, the verb would be has helped. And the details would be uh, farmers lift themselves out of poverty. Because those words are not inside the text. The words lift out of poverty is not inside the words. And has helped is not inside the paragraph. So when I teach kids this, I'm teaching them to summarize uh, and paraphrase without copying the text word for word. Again, this article is the article they're going to be using to help them on their assessment. So by helping them structure this partner work of co-reading, co-annotating the article, I'm directly supporting their success on the assessment. Let's continue with process. Let me give you a final example. Let's say that the on the assessment that it requires them to identify the advantages and disadvantages of globalization. And then as this, as we're looking for advantages, we're going to look at the disadvantages as well. And as you see them, I might say, great, I'll take this part of the lesson, I'll plan it, I'll create a document, or I'll create part this part of the presentation. And then I will show kids on the left-hand side of the T-chart is disadvantages. On the right-hand side of the T-chart, it would be advantages. And I would say, Go back and look at the articles that you've read previously and the videos you've watched previously, but scan them now. Don't watch everything. Don't read everything again. Just scan the video and scan the articles and write down bullet points. What are the advantages and disadvantages as you watch these resources, as you read these resources, or as you process these resources? So I would be teaching them by me doing that, by helping them take notes this way, it directly connects to their assessment. But let's recap the three main ways that I co-assess with my teachers. I create a rubric, that's one. Two is I co-format the assessment. And three, 
I design all the lessons, I co-design the lessons that lead up to the assessment. And I use the framework of content, product, and process. Because I think everything we do is connected to an assessment, I think co-planning has to start with the assessment, not just co-planning the small little lessons. When I look back at my experience co-teaching, co-planning with my content teachers in middle and high school and also in elementary school, I think the best use of my time was when I sat with my teachers and, and said, what is on the assessment? What are they going to do for the assessment? Because during that just 45 minutes planning, maybe that hour of planning once every eight days or once every two weeks, that has that when we spend our time that way, it has really, really helped students. It helps them know what they're going to learn. But more importantly, I think it helps the teachers say, we're going to teach this, this, and this. Now I have a lot of clarity because I, as a language specialist, is helping the content teacher create that clarity. They already have that. We're just trying to document that clarity for kids. Remember, co-planning is co-teaching. And if you don't have a lot of time to co-plan or to co-teach, co at least co-plan the assessment. Next time when you plan with teachers, try to avoid planning, spending time, your precious time, planning on something that's never going to be used again. For example, maybe a bulletin board or one-time graphic organizer or an activity. Think about planning something that's connected and tied to the assessment. I promise you, it will be a multiplier of your time if you co-plan the assessment. If you found this podcast helpful, can you please do me a favor and go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast and just take, a, take two or three minutes and just write a quick review. Your written comments and your reviews really help teachers just like you find the podcast. Every single review I get, every tweet I get about the podcast really makes all the hours I put into this worth it. Now, on to our recap. Originally, the title of this episode was going to be Clear is Kind. This is a quote from Dr. Brene Brown. When we are clear with our assessment instructions, it is kind because it is equitable for students, especially for language learners. When I started to realize that I could co-assess as a form of co-teaching, my practice became even more intentional. I went to co-planning meetings focused on the force meaning the assessments, and rather than the leaves. My co-assessment focused approach to co-planning had an unintentional effect. It greatly reduced the tension between me and my co-teacher, especially the ones where we had a tense or resistant relationship to each other. For some who like to retain their control of the class, I focus less on co-planning daily lessons with that teacher. This made my colleague feel so much more receptive to co-planning because now they were focused on the smaller details. Or in our forest metaphor, they focus on the leaves of instruction. That made sense because I wasn't there every single day for every single lesson.
However, when we prioritize co-planning to focus on co-assessing, it was the greatest return for our investment of time. Even when I wasn't there in class to co-teach with my partner, the assessment documents we created together still scaffolded instruction for students. These assessment documents directly helped students on their assessment. There's a blog post that accompanies this podcast. If you'd like to read the blog post, please go to my website. The link to the blog post will also be in the show notes. In the next episode, we'll visit with one of my former co-teachers to hear about how we turned our co-teaching relationship around. If you have a fragmented relationship with a colleague, you will want to listen to this episode. There is hope, even for the most frayed relationships. Thank you for listening. I'll see you soon. Be safe and be rooted in peace. It's your turn to play Traffic Light Teaching. Tweet at me either your red, yellow, or green light from this particular episode. Your beautiful smile, your beautiful life are waiting for you to shine bright. It's never too early or late to start to rise up and shine.